This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Welcome in. Take command. I'm Craig Hoffman. Used to cover the team. That's Logan Paulson. Used to play for the team. Now does some analyst work for them as well. He's out at OTAs every single day, and that is where we're going to start the show today. A little bit later, we go inside the film room, talk about the defensive end, specifically Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And then also later in the show, we answer your mailbag questions. It is a Monday. It's a mailbag Monday, and we're excited to be back for one. Uh, Logan, how's your weekend, man? It was great, man. I mean, everyone in my family had COVID, but it was nice to kind of have like a low-key... You know what I mean? Like you're not running yeah. around doing a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, it's kind of nice. At least, at least we're locked in. Everybody, everybody yeah. getting healthier at least now. No, yeah. Like I tested negative today, and then hopefully my wife and my daughter will test negative tomorrow or this morning. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually had a fun weekend. We went back to to South Carolina and had a nice little celebration of our our pending wedding or our our upcoming oh, wedding. Not, it's nice. not pending. It's not pending. That's actually like a very pointed <laughs> thing. Not pending. Upcoming, yeah, upcoming yes, uh, wedding uh, happening uh, right? with some of my, my family friends. And so that was really cool. But happy to be That's back, awesome. ready to go uh, for a, another week. And, and off we go into OTA. So uh, just out of full transparency, as I drink my morning coffee here, we're recording this at, at nine in the morning on Monday. Normally record a little later in the day. And the reason I'm mentioning this for, for you, the audience listening, is that Monday practice hasn't happened yet. Normally we'd right. be reviewing that and, and all that. So what we're going to do for this pod and, and this part of this pod is to look ahead and say, what do we think we want to see, not just at today's practice, but what do we want to see this week at Commander's practice? Um, and Logan, let's let's start with the headliner because quarterback is always the headliner. And I think yeah. especially here where there's been so much tumult at quarterback and so much uh, or so many questions at quarterback over the years, people are starting to get pretty excited about what they see about Carson Wentz. And I I just, my question to you is, how much of that is like Carson's really playing well versus mm. Carson is so much better than anything they had that it looks like he's, right. you know, a world beater. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good question. But, you know, I think I kind of look at it with a little bit different lens. Like to me, it's like Carson has looked outstanding, obviously. Uh, but like, how good is the defense at this point? You know, and we're going to talk about safety a little bit later. But that's the thing that gets me going a little bit like that. He's looked really good. Jahan looks really good. The arm strength, his ability to like read the defense looks really good. And I give some credit to Scott Turner because he's done a good job from like a formational standpoint, kind of putting him in good spots, like making it hard for the defense to match up. So there's going to be open throws. But I mean, Carson's arm talent's outstanding. And I do think to your point that like he looks unlike anything that they've had here. You know what I mean? It, it looks so different. I'm trying to think like the last guy that was even in this ballpark in terms of arm talent was probably rg3 you know what i mean in terms of how the ball comes out of his hand and so like he can like literally touch any portion of the field and when you have the receivers that he's got and he doesn't even have terry here yet you know right. Jahan, curtis samuel um you know diami's 
up and down, but like he is a big play potential. And then Cam Sims has had a nice couple of days when he since he's been back from the baby thing. And you just say, man, like the the offense looks so different just because of him, you know. And so, like to your point, it's it's very different. It's I mean, it's been like about a decade since if anybody could do what he's doing from the quarterback position. Right. So he, here's another question, though, because one thing that I I found interesting in talking to you about this over the last couple of weeks is you've been really complimentary of Scott Turner, which is yeah. great. Uh, we because Scott Turner is another massive question mark going into the fall. Yeah, yeah. But you don't often hear about the play calling being outstanding in OTAs. Um, you know, you don't, you're not really getting that deep into the bag and yeah. trying to get your basic stuff. So, one, how different is kind of this play calling sequence, or is it not? Um, and what if, if it is, like, what does that mean? Like, how, how tricky is this offense going to be if, like, this is their base stuff and it's all over the place, different formations, motions, fly sweeps, all this kind of stuff already? Um, and how much impact is that having where maybe the offense is ahead of the defense or anything like that that could also yeah. color the um, the evaluation process the for production. all these players that we're talking about? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a really good question because like, I, I find that coordinators tend – some coordinators uh, get more conservative in OTAs. They're just like we're teaching. This is very basic. And some coordinators get crazy, and they do things in practice that they wouldn't do in games. I'm sure you've people are familiar with players that they knew in high school or whatever that would ball out in practice and do all sorts of crazy stuff, and in the game they kind of go into a shell. So I'm hoping that that isn't the case here, right? And also the other thing that, that's important to consider is that the offense, I think the concepts are very similar to what they were running last year, but you just see how they open up when you have someone with – Carson's arm talent playing the position so mm. like for example like a concept that they run a ton of is like I don't really like this concept it's like a it's like a post two posts on one side and then like a high cross coming across and so usually you coming have a across, high cross. across the posts or from the same side like two, uh, two by one posts, or, or like, like crossing okay. the posts like a big X. gotcha so coming so, underneath him yeah, and so usually you kind of think oh I'm hitting the high cross but like even at points that last year like people were just like no, like we're going to play like some like our players just going to sit right there because no one's got the talent to throw this post like very few people in the NFL do. And he's hit that post probably twice, three times in training camp, you know, and that's like a 60 yard throw like on a rope. <clears throat> so obviously like that, those plays are the same. You know, he ran that play last year a ton. And then all of a sudden you get to like the second variation of that because of Carson's arm talent. And you say to yourself, well, wow, like that's that's such a unique thing that he's got that this offense now has. And that's what, that's what he wants to do. That's what Scott wants to do. So, you know, I say that the offense is different. It's drastically different, but maybe it's just expressing itself differently. You know, maybe because you've added this piece, the, the alchemy of the offense is just different now, you know? And I think that that's something that, you know, you try to keep a straight evaluation, but I don't remember all the plays they ran last year. I don't remember how they looked with Haskins or whoever was playing quarterback last year. You know, it's just different. And so I think that that's been, um, that's just been like the, the, the big question about this offseason. That's why people get so excited when you're at practice. Cause you're just like, this is, this is new. This is different. Now I said, like, there are some issues, right? Like can Carson sustain this over the course of a 17 game season? Can Scott Turner get the best out of him? How good is the defense playing? You know, we haven't really talked about that a ton on this episode yet, but that's a big question for me. So I think, you know, Carson will continue to progress. You know, we talked about kind of projecting this week, He'll continue to progress just because, like, I mean, it's it's just a new thing, you know, like this defense isn't used to this. So, and again, I wonder how good the defense is playing at the moment also. Yeah, um, of course, this time last year it was Fitzpatrick. Um, yeah, right. Who, you know, which is crazy to think that, like, just a year ago it was Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then he wound up obviously basically not playing at all. Um, obviously, you had Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke as well uh, in the mix at this point last year. Um, 
Also, SAT word of the day, alchemy. Alchemy. It is yeah. 9.13 on Monday morning, six minutes into the podcast, and we got alchemy dropped by alchemy. Logan yep. Paulson. Bingo. Uh, that's a, that, is a, that is a smart Cal Bear over there, right? Cal, uh, got, no, UCLA Bruin, babe. What UCLA Bruin. I was there? like, why did yeah. Cal feel wrong? Yeah, UCLA. Yeah. That California state system. They, smart, they, they, they're smart guys. Smart, yeah. smart all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, all right. So defensive side of the ball. Um, I, to me, the most interesting thing is how the safety rotation is playing yeah. out. And, and that obviously affects everything else. Um, and, and that doesn't mean it's necessarily the biggest question. I still think that's linebacker. We've obviously talked about linebacker a ton. Linebackers in, impacted by D-line. We've talked about that quite a bit. And we'll obviously get more into it as we yeah. get into our tape breakdown in about, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. But when you look at the defensive backfield here, you've seen a bunch of different guys play Buffalo Nickel. Last yeah. week, you saw some success with Benjamin St. Juice. Yeah. And we're still trying to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean for the safety rotation? Does that mean we're just going to see Cam Curl and Bobby McCain playing those two safety spots? And it actually is like the most simplistic version of this, you know, or right. do we see Cam come down into the Buffalo nickel? Do we see one of these young guys step up? I think yeah. that seemed to be what they wanted because Forrest was getting a lot of those early reps right. and didn't play well. And now they're getting taken away. So we you know, spin it forward to what do we look for this week? What are you looking for out of, you know, all the machinations of, of defensive backs they can throw out there this week and, and what they would mean if certain guys are getting reps here, there, everywhere. Yeah, so I think that's probably, in terms of the defense, the biggest storyline for me. I think on offense, it's like Jahan, Carson Wentz, and all these different pieces and how they're gelling together and how good they've looked. And on defense, it's kind of the reverse. Because I think everybody in the front has played well. You know, like we're going to talk about Fedarian a little bit later, maybe like he's progressing in this nice way. The linebackers are playing better as a result. <laughs> Excuse me. And the thing that's been the big question mark is the safety group and how they kind of fit together, right? So I look at, um, I look at, you know, Cam Curl, and he looks like he's poised for a breakout year. Just as like, where is that going to be? Is that going to be at the Buffalo Nickel or at the post safety? He's just, he's playing very intuitively. Seems to be in the right spot. I think I mentioned this on the last pod. Like, at some point, you just got to make plays, right? And he is making plays in the run game. He's making tight windows in the in the pass game. He's just doing a great job. Bobby McCain is an excellent job. I think he's had some probably more up and down, but very consistently kind of trending up. If I was going to kind of give him a grade, it's probably, you know, moving in the right direction. And you mentioned Forrest, and he was the guy that started out at the position. And I kind of like that idea because I like Cam Curl near the box. I think he's a good blitzer. I think he's a good tackler. I think he can match up all with tight ends because he's got nice long arms for the safety position. But again, like Forrest just seemed to be having a tough time. You know, they play this quarters shell which is really, really tough because in a quarters defense, those two safeties are run fit players, right? So if if they get run away, they are the C gap or B gap defender that's fitting the run. So you have to go from defending like, you know, deep 12 yards off the right. ball. We're, we're, we're worried about a seam ball, you know, to a, yeah. a slot guy or a tight end, you know, 40 yards down the field to Correct. I got to be at the line of scrimmage. Correct. And so he is a guy who gets a little bit antsy and wants to fit the run. You know, he wants to fit the run. I, like He reminded me a little bit of like LaRon Landry in terms of like, I want to be in the box. So to me, that's weird because he seems like that skill set would fit Buffalo nickel a little bit better. So why not? Why is he not working there? I think is my question, because like, let him do that. Let him be that kind of because like he does some stuff like in the red zone, for example, where he's taken on guards and he's taken on tight ends and he looks very comfortable and he's a big kind of, I don't want to say stout guy, but he's like a broader shouldered guy than Cam or Bobby or even Butler, you know? So you're kind of like, well, maybe that would be the, the, the kind of the move is to get him in there. But I don't think they want a young guy playing that spot as of right now. 
because of all the intellectual demand that they have to go through there. So I, I expect him to come out of there. So as a result, Cam Curl is your best player. He goes back there, and then it becomes who's the Buffalo nickel. And they did some stuff with Benjamin St. Juice last week where he's either playing true nickel or Buffalo nickel, depending on how you want to categorize it. But he had to fit a couple runs, and he looked really good. And his and he matched up excellent against Jahan Dotson in the slot. And Jahan has been dicing, like, literally all comers. And Benjamin St. Juice has done a great job of, excuse me, using his arm length, kind of negating some of that short area quickness of Jahan. Jahan's winning, but he's winning late. And so you say, man, that guy is covering well. He's big. He's a decent tackler for a corner. So maybe that's the solution because the whole back of the defense, all of a sudden with that one move, looks much better. So, again, I think ideally they'd want to get Butler or Forrest to kind of come along and play that post safety. But Butler looks like he's swimming a little bit at the moment. You know, he's got a lot on his plate. So, again, like going into this week, that's the stuff you want to see is does Benjamin St. Juice continue to play well? Does Butler maybe take a step forward? And then maybe he plays the post safety because that's where he's been practicing more. And then Cam's in the box. So, again, that kind of relationship, that amalgamation of, of safeties and responsibilities is really interesting to me because it was it was amazing to see Cam Crow, Bobby McCain, Benjamin St. Juice at the nickel, like the coverage contour just got so much more consistent, right? As opposed right. to the other way around. Yeah. So I think it's just it's so hard to play that nickel spot, Buffalo or regular, right? Like there is so much, I mean, there's so much physical demand just because you don't have the sideline as your as your you know friend as a defender, right? Yeah, like if yeah. you're an outside corner, there's a certain number of routes that you can run against you. There's only so much space. When you're in the middle and you have you know, all of a sudden, you know, ball snapped, forget forget what you're calling it, Buffalo nickel, regular nickel, yeah. slot corner, this, that, you know, you're in space and it's a pass play and you got a, a small shifty guy coming at you that can dice you left, right, you know, right. come back. If he catches the ball with too much space, he's a run after the catch threat. If you jump, try to jump something short, he's going over the top and you know, who knows what's going to happen with your safety help, depending on the other routes and that combination. So there's just a lot of variables and that's just in a pass situation. Nevertheless, right. you're a, all of a sudden a box player uh, in the run where you're, you're either in or depending on the splits, you're either in or just outside the box. So there, there's so much demand there of what you need to be able to do physically. Obviously the mental side of defending that is really, really hard because the possibilities yeah. are just about endless. And so it, it is limiting on who you can put in there. Um, the question then becomes, can you, and, and this would be the question I'd be asking if I was Jack Del Rio is, can I teach one of these young guys? Like if I really want to get Cam Curl in the box and I really want to get him in that Buffalo spot and one of these guys is swimming in the post or other way around, I'm like, I, I really would rather one of these safeties play down in Buffalo nickel right. in certain situations versus Benjamin St. Juice. Can I teach them a sliver? And can we, with our intellect as coaches, know and probably the the best situation to isolate would be third down. Can we know that like, Hey, if we're third and seven plus the options that the offense is going to throw at us become very limited. The run stuff goes out the window. Maybe mm. now without that mental challenge of run versus pass. And do I need to worry about a run fit? Also certain routes are far less threatening because it's, it's third and long. Like, can you get, someone pick pick a guy coached up in one of those two spots to maximize everybody else and get that contour you're talking about make sure you're in the right shape make sure everyone's communicating and that could yeah. be a way to to have one of these young guys make an impact on by the way the yeah. impact down third down uh, when we get into the fall versus just having them basically be special teams guys who are learning the entire year 
Yeah, and I think if I was a betting man, I'd say over the next couple of weeks, maybe this week, you see Butler move into like a post safety role at some at some point. I think that's where he's more comfortable at the moment, and you know he does have tremendous speed. I haven't like you see it at times, but he seems like I said he's got a lot going on. But I think that would be to me. I think that's the perfect scenario. I think Butler playing safety, McCain, Cam in the box, because I think then everything feels a little bit better, especially if it's kind of like your first and second down Buffalo nickel. I think, I think you've got your answer in terms of third down with Benjamin St. Juice. You know what I mean? I think that's the way you want to go there because he's yeah. done a really nice job. And then again, you keep your really, your best players on the field with Cam and, and Bobby. So I, I I'm waiting for them to make that transition and hopefully it happens sooner rather than later because it'll, sh- it'll it shows me that Butler is kind of ahead of schedule in terms of understanding where he's supposed to be in the defense. But as of right now, the best combination they've got is by McCain, Cam Curl, Benjamin St. Just. And I think the, the big storyline for the next couple of weeks of OTAs is which, which player steps up. And, you know, we haven't even talked about Reese, you know, Reese is a guy that I think a lot of fans like he plays well, but I think he has some physical limitations that make you worried about him taking a larger role in the defense. I think he's a good football player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being critical of him. But again, the reason we're talking so much about these young guys is because they have the physical upside to get it done. But you do have Reese kind of in the bag if if you get desperate, I think. Yeah, yeah. Not desperate. Right. Desperate's the wrong word. But but yeah, you know, he, he's, a, he's a good safety device, uh, safety flotation Correct, device, yeah. but you don't, you don't necessarily want to be using your safety flotation device. Right, right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take command here on Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. Uh, let's get into the film room and let's get into the front seven. You spent some time over the weekend breaking down Montez Sweat, Chase Young, big overarching takeaways. What's what's the big thing that stood out when you watched those guys? I'm guessing you were watching them from last year because yeah. Chase not practicing right now. Montez well, I've watched, obviously, I've watched so Montez far. at OTAs. But yeah, but... Montez and OTAs, but, but uh, I know you went back into some game film as well. Yeah, so I watched a majority game film. I watched probably three games on each guy, and then I watched all, like, their impact plays, you know? And so what I'd say is that, like, um, let's start with Chase, I guess. Like, the, the first off, they're both physical freaks. Like, when you watch them, like, they just – they're there's very few human beings that can do what they can do. And so what I will say is I think kind of to their detriment is they rely on that physical skill set almost too much, right? Like, you look at Montez, he's got – I didn't realize this, but he has 35 and three quarters inch arms, which would have been the longest arms by a defensive player at the combine this year. And everyone was talking about Trayvon Walker and what a freak Trayvon Walker was. But like here you have Montez Sweat, who's taller, ran a faster 40. Obviously, some of the short agility stuff wasn't quite as good. But like you see that that physical skill set of Montez on tape. 
And he's got a tremendous long arm and he uses it. And when he uses it, it's like you can't really stop it because no one can even touch him. But he's going to that well almost every single play. You know what I'm saying? And so, mm-hmm. like, one of the things as, as, as a tackle, as a guy who coaches pass protectors, is I'm always telling pass protectors, you need to dictate to the rusher. Don't let them dictate to you. And a good pass rusher will dictate to the to the pass protector. What I mean by that is, like, let's just say, um, you know, it's third, third down, third and seven, right? On the rush before, I've used my long arm, right? So maybe this time I'll show him a long arm to get the tackle to settle his feet, and then I'll attack the outside hand and run around the corner. Montez and Chase, too, they don't do that. They don't kind of play chess with their rush. They don't stack rushes. And, like, when you go when you watch, like, Von Miller, uh, you know, his pass rush camp and DeMarcus where is there, all they're talking about is how to get how to dictate to the tackle. And right now, both of them are relying on just being physically better than everybody to get their pressures and to get their sacks. Now it's crazy because Montez over like eight games or seven games, whatever he played, had five sacks. So if he plays mm-hmm. a full season, he'll probably get ten. Right. Just off right. of like some some nonsense. Like I'm gonna use my long arm every single rush and you can't stop it. And there's a precedent for that because like that's what Ryan did. Ryan Kerrigan, he knew he was gonna get 15 rushes in a game or 20 rushes in a game, and I'm going to use my long arm, and you're going to screw one of these long arms up, and I'm going to get a sack. And I think Montez is kind of operating in a similar way, and it's it can it just could be so much better if he even had like one variation move off of what he does because the one thing he does is damn near unblockable when he hits it. So like if I can have this one kind of ace in the hole and then this slight variation off of this, like he could have, he could be like a 20 sack a year guy just from that thing. It's just about, can he learn to do that? Now, Montez, let's just finish this conversation about Montez is yeah. maybe the best run defender on the team. So they play this really unusual and not unusual. A lot of teams do it, but it's been popularized over the last 10 years of like a gap and a half on the edge. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm playing the edge. I need to get my hat outside the blocker, and just hold the edge and make the back cut back. People don't like that anymore. Like DeMarcus Ware, Alden Smith, what they would do is they'd attack the inside shoulder, press the offensive player back, use the Mm -hmm. offensive player's body to make the running back cut back, and then they would make the tackle in the C gap or the inside gap there, the B gap if it's the tackle. So he is outstanding at that, just setting a vertical edge. And then sometimes the back will even get ballsy and like bubble back around, and he's fast enough to run to the sideline and make that tackle. So in terms of being where he's supposed to be in the run game and playing with good physicality, like he's probably the best. And it's and it's his skill set, his physical tools lend itself to that. Like those arm, that arm length is so important for that defensive player. Yeah. And there's a couple of things with Montez that he his rookie year was my last year on the beat. So I, I got to watch him up close for a full season. Obviously, been watching him on TV ever since, right? Yeah. And there's a couple of things that stood out then that still stand out now. And the run defense is one thing for sure. Yeah. Like and, and just like you said, you know, obviously I covered Ryan and you know, you'd look up at the end of the year and he'd have 11 sacks and go to the Pro Bowl. And you're like, did he have a good year? I don't know. But he I guess 11 sacks is that's that's right. a that's a good bad year if it was a bad yeah, year, yeah. Um, right. you know. And so there's a little bit of that with Montez. But on the on the plus side, one, he's so hard to run against. You, like yes. his side is almost dead uh, uh, yeah. on on run stuff. And two, you can't screen him either. And, yeah. and that that especially in the modern NFL, where when you have uh, so much of quick release, trying to get the ball out quick. Um, his length is, and his vertical is really, really impactful because yeah. one, if you can get the ball over him, him he'll knock down, you know, 10 passes mm-hmm. a year. Um, but w- if you get it over him, 
he's so fast that he will go out and tackle, like forget a running back screen. He will go out and tackle the receiver behind the line of scrimmage. He'll get off that block. And when the receiver jumps to come back inside, assuming the corner sets an edge, Montez is right there. And so that's really valuable. Nevertheless, getting his hands up on slants and some of that other stuff um, where he's had a big impact. But um, I think it's really interesting, obviously, as you said, and this I'm sure will will transition quite nicely into Chase, like the, the lack of pass rush uh, diversity but also the lack of pass rush understanding of like, you know, hey, if I just did this one thing, right. I'd make our team more effective. Uh, yeah. I myself would get more sacks. And and that seems to play into some of the stuff that we saw last year with the and I feel like this was a bigger issue with Chase than it was with Montez. But the selfish plays, as Ron would yeah. tell um, and, and some of the lack of discipline comes from just not really having a full picture of how his rushes impact the other four guys on the line or a blitzer if, if they're in the, in the way or in the mix. And I think that elevated understanding would also lead to some elevated moves like, oh, I see what's happening here. If I yeah. do, do, do thing A, thing B is set up. Next time I got him, thing B. And, and yeah. I think that would make a huge impact on a team scale and also obviously on an individual scale for not only Montez, but for Chase. Yeah, so I think the thing with Montez is you, in terms of selfish play, you think I think you see a guy who knows where he fits in the defense. You know what I mean? And it doesn't lead to a lot of like super um, flashy, sexy stuff from him. He's like, I'm in my gap, I'm rushing my gap, but it's in in the context of the defense, it's advantageous, right? And so Chase, I think when I watch him, I get the sense that he's a much more like intuitive football player. Like I'll see him kind of identify a formation. He'll slide down a gap tighter because he knows it's run away and then stunt on his own and make a tackle for loss. Right. And so you see him doing that kind of stuff all the time. He'll be on a stunt. He'll feel something's happening and then he'll just get vertical and make a tackle. Right. And so you love that. Right. You love when that's successful. You love when um, that's that, you know, that you get those plays, you get those tackle losses, you get tackles, whatever it is. But also, like, it kills you at times, right? Because he he does gap release. You know, and I mentioned the gap and a half thing that Montez does so well. Chase does not understand it or doesn't get it or doesn't want to do it. I think it's probably he doesn't get it because it's a very unusual technique because, like, there's a lot of times where, you know, like your whole life playing defensive end, you've set the edge. You've set the edge. You've set the edge. Now you're kind of setting the edge, but you're also playing the C-gap, and I, you can tell he's not comfortable with it. And as a result, like – it leads to running lanes that aren't supposed to be there necessarily. So I think understanding that, and also <clears throat> he as a guy and as, as a pass rusher who like the more I watched him, I was like, man, I don't know if he totally understands like what he's doing. It's just everything about him is so, I don't say raw because he does have this really nice football intellect, but it's just not refined to the point where it needs to be for him to be getting a lot of sacks. Right. So he's like, let's just talk about his rush angle. Right. Go ahead. Jay. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So uh, my question, I guess on, on, upon hearing that would be how much of it is not understanding this system, right? Like right. he was great at Ohio state and he may have understood what they wanted him to do there. Obviously it was not going to be as complex at the college level as it was at the pro level, but you know, a football intellect, but also not getting it. Those two things don't seem to jive. So like, where's the disconnect, you know, right? Yeah. Is it, is it that yeah. he was and, and we talk about this sometimes with new quarterbacks on offense. Right. And I remember talking to Mark Sanchez about this when he was here, uh, because he came in and had to learn the playbook really, really quickly. And they, there's a famous story that, you know, we reported on the time he's, he told it on Fox a couple of times last year that like Kevin O'Connell as the offensive coordinator was basically translating 
uh, Jay's yeah. plays over to what Mark knew when he was with the Jets because Kevin was there with the Jets with him as well. And so kind of that same thing where like, you know, whether it's play calls or concepts or whatever, but he was coached very specifically maybe to do thing A all the time. This is your rule. And he took that to heart and was like, this is my technique. This is how I do it. Now, are they asking him to do something else? And it's just, he can't kind of can't overcome that built-in instinct. He's got so, to, that's being a professional. But like, right. I, I guess my, my question is kind of like, where's the disconnect between the good football IQ that you see in some of these instinctual plays that allow him to yeah. make game-changing plays and the down in down out consistency where you're like, do you actually know what's going on at all? So what I would say is that like with this gap and a half thing, just as an example, because that's like what they do, right? Is it doesn't intuitively make sense. You're in a right. defense where everyone has a gap, right? So when I ask my coach and I say like, who has the D gap? And they're like, oh, someone has the D gap, but you have like C to D secondary, right? That doesn't make any sense. Like when you, when you, when you say right. it out loud, it doesn't make any sense. When you see it executed, it makes sense. But when you say it out loud, it doesn't make sense. So I think in, I would assume, I haven't talked to him about it, but I would, I would assume intuitively that's very, very challenging for him to kind of like, I have the, like, who's got the D gap? And like, no one's got the D gap. Like you have the C gap to the D gap late. That does, in an eight man front or in a, or in a gapped out defense, that makes zero sense. Cause there has to be an edge defender. There has to be someone to set an edge in the defense. And then everybody's gap falls in by after that. But no, you are you. Everyone else is playing one gap, and you're playing a gap and a half in this defense. It's like think about that. That's like a, it sounds like a yeah. weird counterintuitive thing. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. But if you're if you play the technique correctly, then it makes sense in the defense, and you have to see someone do it. So when you watch Montez do it, just as an example, you see how impactful that technique is on the defense, right? Because let's say John's a little late to his gap, or Jamin's like a little late to the to to, to run to the football. Now you have kind of the best of both worlds. You just, it's really hard to play the technique. And Montez is a physical freak, so it's easy for him. But like for Chase, you can tell he gets a little high. He's looking around. He doesn't understand quite how to do it because it's an unconventional technique. And I think about the best guys to do it that I played against. They all were like 34, 35-inch arm guys with great length who could play with good vision because they could keep the blocker off of them. That's what Montez has. Chase has fine arm length. I think it's like 33 and three quarters, but it it's harder with shorter arms because the tackle can kind of envelop you and you takes away your vision. The other thing Chase does, he plays a little bit high. So guys can get into him and kind of get after him a little bit. And I think that can also make that gap and a half setup a little bit more challenging as opposed to saying, I'm on the edge. This is my gap. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I, also, like, I don't know, maybe I'm going too far into my coach brain here, but like, I also wonder about like learning styles and things like that, where yeah. like if Chase is someone who can get things explained to him and then go do them, that's great. Except for when the thing being explained to you, like if he's an auditory learner, yeah. doesn't make any sense at all, doesn't, right? You're like, and what? like, like as and opposed I've, to like if a guy like Montez is a visual learner, he's they show him some tape of Demarcus Ware doing it, and he's like, okay, I got it, and he goes out in the field yeah, and does it. Like right. this is the hard part about coaching, right? Like this is this is a larger point about coaching. Yeah, when you have ninety guys on the roster, like you do right now is you have to, as a coaching staff, provide learning opportunities for a bunch of different guys who all are going to learn in different ways. Yeah. And if you can't successfully, as a coach, coach to guys who learn auditorily, visually, tactile, you know, whatever it yeah. is, then you're not gonna, you're not a very good coach. Like, you need to be able to, to get through to all of those guys to unlock their talent. And you also just kind of wonder potentially if Chase is learning style. And again, I want to be very specific here. That's not like a learning 
deficiency. No, it's not like no. Chase is stupid. Like we're talking about his intellect and his intuition that allows him to do special things that very few right. guys in the league can do. But if you have a learning style, the way you intake information doesn't match with your coach there, that disconnect can be the difference in you being successful and not. And, you know, you got to wonder how, how much of that could be at play too. If something in this concept is really, really complicated when explained in certain ways. Dude, 100%. And, and I think it speaks to his analytical mind. You know what I mean? You see him like back to me in the gun. It means run away usually. Right. So he'll tighten his split. Like he's a smart dude. No doubt. He's very yeah, smart. Right. This does not make sense. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. Like it makes sense. Like if you really get back, but everything, it's not a bad scheme though. I think, I think it's important yes, to say that too. Yes, like, right. Cause you can see it on the other side with Montez. It's not like we yeah. say it doesn't make sense. It's, it's hard to explain. Well, and if you have certain rules and principles based off of other schemes, which are more common, yes, then it does. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not going to work. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, okay, it yeah. does work. It's just you got to you got to have that that click moment. And I want to be clear, like the reason it doesn't make sense is because most defenses, most defenses like this, they're you're the contained player, right? So when they get this kind of half speak, this nuance to the position, which is usually so binary, it is a little bit confusing. But yeah, so that I think that's one element of his game that could be improved upon. And like again, that's mental, that's coaching. There's a lot of layers there, right? Is his physical skill set right for that kind of defense? I don't know. But again, you see a little bit of that playmaker. And then as a pass rusher, he wants to win inside all the time. He's trying to set up to beat you with an inside move, which is fine if the defense is accounting for it. So, you know, how I think Coach Ron Rivera mentioned a lot of times last year, like their selfish play, right? So if you watch the Buffalo game, for example, he was able to set up kind of with a little stutter step, which everyone was crushing him for, myself included, but he was able to win inside quite a bit, right? And then Josh Allen is able to just kind of step around and then create all this time because he's, he's voided the pocket. And so his rush evolved to kind of attacking the upfield shoulder of the tackle and then diving in late and kind of collapsing the pocket, which again, that's a good move. That's the right intuitive rush plan. But if you look at it from like a long-term plan, if I'm coaching that tackle, I'm going to say set vertically. He's going to bully you at the top of your rush. Get ready. And just settle your feet when that happens. And when I talk to O-line coaches, I got a lot, a lot of friends who are O-line coaches. I said, what do you think of Chase? What do you think of Montez? It's like, you know, Montez is a problem because of the arm length. But if you can get your guy to understand that they are doing one thing, you can beat them. Anybody can beat them. They got to block one pass rush move. So I think that's the other thing is like the reason that Chase is kind of in this box of one pass rush move is because his his start is a little bit loose. And what I mean by that, he takes a little bit of a false step. Now, he's one of the most explosive human beings on the planet. So he's able to overcome and still be in the rush. But it could be better if he's not taking a false step. His angle is very vertical up the field as opposed to like we're talking five degrees. If he's five degrees tighter, he's stressing the tackle now. You know, and those right. are little things, but he's so freaky that he can get away with kind of this looseness to him. But if you watch Vaughn, if you watch Demarcus, if you watch um, uh, TJ Watt, if you watch JJ Watt, they understand how important the rush angle is. They understand how important the timing is. And it's super, super tight. It's almost like a dance, right? And you can tell they, you can tell like when those guys screw up their rush, they almost just give up because they're like, I don't, I don't got it. Um, they still rush, but it's like, I didn't hit my third step on time. I'm gonna just kind of, I'm gonna serve energy. One. Yes, yeah. I'll get yeah. the next down. Yeah, and because I messed up my rhythm and timing. Chandler Jones, same thing. So he doesn't have that. He's just 
running up the field. And then he gets to a point. He says, I'm too deep. I need to get inside. And he attacks the guy's inside shoulder. And it works because he's big. He's fast. He's physical. But there needs to be a level of nuance for both of these guys, quite frankly, to make them go from good B, B plushes players to like that elite pass rusher, right? Where guys are sweating at night knowing they have blocked these guys. And to be fair, teams respect them as rushers because every single third down they get chipped, every single one, right? So obviously mm-hmm. there's a respect for them and their physical skill set. And like what they're doing is very, is good, but it could be. It could go from good to great. And I think that's the thing that's frustrating when you watch them is it's very, very close to being great. Yeah. So how does it improve? Is it just experience? They get more yeah. coaching. They they get more reps. And ultimately, it you know they figure out some things, whether it's on their own or their coaches get through in, in a certain way. Is that how it gets better? Because so I mean, the other thing, too, is they're super young. Right. Like Montez so, is now going into year four, uh, which, you know, is starting to get near near what you'd hope would be his prime. Um, and then Chase is year three asterisk because he misses most of last year with the ACL injury. And we'll see when he even gets on the field this year when, in terms of timeline of his recovery. Right. And I think that's the, that's the, to me, this is where a veteran in the room becomes extremely advantageous. You go out, you find a guy who's at the end of his rope. He's not going to contribute that much, but he is an excellent pass rusher. Excellent. Like I remember when they brought Dumerville in, you know, for Brian Arakbo and Ryan Kerrigan. This was mm-hmm. in 2014, something like that, 15 maybe. And the stuff that they see and the stuff that they know after having a 10-year career of having 10 plus sacks every year is elite. Like I remember like listening to Dumerville talk and he was like, oh yeah, like I don't watch the ball. I watch Robert's knees on the snap. And I was like, why? Because like Robert's knees concave right before the snap comes. So I just go on that. And it's like, oh, I know like when it's um, I know when when the slides to me because I watch the center's eye, you know, just little stuff like that. And that makes you a better pass rusher because you can anticipate what's going to happen. Right. <clears throat> and I think he would be able to say, hey, man, your, your rush angles. Too. And because of his experience and because of his his pedigree, the guys listen to him like some of the most important coaching I got was not from a coach, but from other players. You know, what I mean, it was from Chris Cooley. It was from uh, Lee Vickers, a guy that no one knows about. But, you know all these different guys in my career who, who gave me, you know, uh, Schumann was a guy that no one even knows about, but he helped me with my route running. And they were veterans who were near the end of their careers, who came in for a couple of weeks, like training camp, OTAs, whatever, and just dropped incredible knowledge. Right. And I think about that and I think that's what they need right now. You know, the voices of the coaches, sometimes that doesn't work. They need someone in there that they respect that can make them better players. And to me, that if I was a coach, I would really look hard at that and say, like, look at the tight end room. Like right now, we're going to talk about them in a second, but like they have three dudes who are developing at a meteoric rate. And I think that's Castillo deserves a lot of credit, but also Logan Thomas deserves a lot of credit for that. You know what I mean? And I think that's what this group needs. They need someone who can come in and mentor edge play. And I think that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe on Thursday or sometime soon, we'll take a look at some free agents or, uh, if you're listening out there, you, you have the internet. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Google the same as we are. Yeah. Tweet Craig, uh, some names. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do that at Craig Hoffman. If you want to hit Logan on social media at Logan underscore Paulson 82 on Instagram. Hey, it's Craig Hoffman from take command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt. 
your weekly source for all things Commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take command here on Odyssey Sports. It's a Monday, so it's a mailbag Monday. Logan, we got two questions. Uh, This first one is from Captain Todd, a frequent listener to uh, all our stuff on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. Uh, And Todd asks, does a Terry contract happen this season or do we see a franchise tag type of situation after his final year? Of course, his final year is this year, so we're talking uh, next off season, we're, we're going to be talking this time next year about Terry not being an OTAs because he's on a franchise tag and he's not happy about it. Or, or you know, he'll be ah, well, he signed that big contract last year. Good, good to see you, Terry. By the way, great fishing weekend. I don't, I don't know if you you uh, speak on Instagram, uh, follow him on there. Uh, Terry was out fishing this weekend, caught a lot of fish. So Terry's <laughs> having a grand old time while he's not at OTAs. Um. Yeah, so that's a really good question, and the answer is it depends. And like any good answer, it depends, right? So on in this situation, I think my gut I, again, because he this this contract negotiation has been surprisingly quiet. You know, usually there's leaks, someone says something, an agent. You know, there's this. I will say the one thing about the Washington Commanders reporting staff is they're very good at finding stuff, and no one's really been able to find anything meaningful, right? So again, this is all speculation, in my opinion. And you can probably speculate too, Craig, because that's what we do on the show. Um, yeah, so, speculation. So, Let's yeah. do it. So what I would say is that I would, knowing Terry, knowing what he means to this team, I would expect something to be done this year. The one caveat, or there's probably multiple caveats, but the one big caveat in my mind is that the receiver market is insane right now. You know what I mean? Mm. So what they were planning on paying for him is probably drastically different today than it was even three months ago. And so if I'm Terry, I'm saying, well, that guy in Jacksonville just got paid ridiculous money and he's terrible. I deserve at least that for this team. <laughs> and that's yeah, like 20 million a year. If I don't get Christian Kirk money, we're going to have issues. It's like 20 million a year, right? Or something yeah, they like 18 and a half, something. You're like, he so, was the third receiver on a in, in Arizona. Like, he was fine, but... But that type that type of deal screws everything up, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Terry's well aware that he's not Tyreek Hill, he's not uh, Devontae Adams, he's not Hopkins. He's I think he's understands that, and I I'm assuming that, but just knowing him, what I've heard about him, I think he gets that. But I damn sure believe he thinks he's better than Christian Kirk because he is way better than Christian Kirk and should be paid more than Christian Kirk. So again, that makes this whole thing really complicated because that number jumps. You probably could have got away early in this offseason paying him like 17 and a half, 18 and a half million dollars, maybe 19 if you felt really good. Now you got to pay him 21, maybe 22, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. I, to me, there's two big caveats. That's one of them. The other one is, and to me, this is the way a deal doesn't get done, is if Terry's basically like, this organization is a disaster yes. and I don't want to be here. 
Correct. And Terry is a smart guy. Terry is really competitive. Terry is extremely high character. And if he looks at this organization and goes, I want to see how this year plays out with Carson. I want to see how this year plays out with Ron. I don't want to go through another rebuild with another coach and and play with my fifth quarterback and or sixth quarterback in five years next year. If, if it doesn't go well, I could see him waiting it out and being like, all right, if y'all want to franchise tag me and pay me all that guaranteed money, fine. But like, the receiver market's going up. So when I eventually get paid, I'm going to get more. I think that's, I don't think that's likely, but I think that probably has to exist somewhere in the conversation between he and his agent. I think what's more likely is they get a deal done and it happens this off season. And if he eventually wants out, then he is like, I'm, will you please trade me? Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's a better outcome for the club, by the way, as well, because they can get something in return. But at the end of the day, I, I think that Terry was a third round pick. He's made, by like normal human being standards, very fine money, you know, NFL, NFL yeah. rookie minimums and everything are, are just fine. Terry's making uh, seven figures this year um, on the last year of his deal. And at the end of the day, like he hasn't gotten paid yet by NFL yeah. standards. So if they offer him a get paid contract where he's going to make more by week four than he's made in his entire career, then he's, he's probably going to take that. Um, that, that would seem to be, the the prudent thing to do so i do think they they get something done i the one thing i will say though about terry's like self-evaluation i do think that he's someone who looks at the quarterback situation that he's played with here and goes i mean yeah i haven't been yeah. tyree kill but if you had put me with you had put me with uh patrick, patrick mahomes, mahomes maybe i would be and yeah. so i i don't know how much below those guys he's going to be willing to go because he's going looking at Devonte Adams and being like, well, he got to play with Aaron Rodgers. You know, yeah. he's looking at Tyree kill and be like, well, he got to play with Patrick Mahomes. So if this I'm Terry, I'm going, I've had to play with Taylor Heineke. Sorry, Taylor over there yeah. in your backup quarterback locker. Um, but like, come on, like, give me, give me a chance here. This is interesting though. I think, it's interesting to think about Terry's market or Terry's perceived value by the NFL, I think is the other thing that's an important variable here because like I'm, I'm of the opinion that Terry's a very good football player, but he's not a true number one. Those guys are going to get paid like they're true number one wide receivers. Right. And when you talk, not this isn't everybody, but when you talk to some people around the NFL, they are of the mindset that he's not a true number one. He's not going to come in and be like a franchise chasing player or like a coverage dictating player, the way Devontae, the way Hopkins, the way Tyreek Hill, you know, the way Julio was in his prime. Like he's not in that same category or pantheon of player. So it'd be interesting if you're the team, maybe you just call his bluff and let him try to hit the open market and say, like, this is the number we're going to pay you. And it's going to be more than everybody else because of like the intrinsic value to the organization. You know what I mean? But like, mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to be able to get this money anywhere else which would be interesting. That that to me is an interesting, like a legitimately interesting conversation about actual value versus his perceived value and like where the team thinks he's at. Because right now, again, this is another thing that I don't think that when they drafted John, this was not on their mind, but he has played so well over the first three weeks or first two weeks of OTAs that maybe you say we don't need, and this is total, everyone just calm down. I can hear it already. Calm yeah. down. This is total speculation, but now that variable maybe becomes more important. You know what I mean? Maybe. In, in this, maybe. In this I mean, it, it all matters. It all matters. I, what I yeah. would say about this with Terry and the eval is it's tough because like I test, like sometimes he catches balls and it just looks super awkward and uncoordinated, but then yeah. he catches it and runs 60 yards. And you're like, oh, well, I mean, six points, it six worked. points. Yeah. So that's, right. that's cool. And you look at, and again, we've talked about the quarterbacks that he's played with. 
he's his, these are his stats his first three years. He had 58 catches for 919 yards in his first year, 87 for 1118 his second year, and then last year 77 for 1053. Like we're talking about a guy that you know is putting up thousand yard seasons. Basically he, he missed the final couple games, his rookie year. Otherwise he would have been over a thousand, but he's over a thousand, uh, basically every year with the quarterbacks he's been playing with. And, and again, and so like the, you're talking about Julio's getting like 1500, but he's playing with MVP Matt Ryan. So like, it's really tough because you're, you were looking at a guy who's not always the smoothest. He's not always, you know, looking the part he's from a physical, like so height standpoint. Like he doesn't have the, the tools that you're looking for. But his production's ridiculous considering who what he's been surrounded by. It's, and it's so, tough, and I and then you also have the A plus character, and that's that's why I'm a sucker for for Terry. But you know, me too. I I admit that wholeheartedly. Me too. But I also will say this: I, one of the things I've heard from guys I've talked to is how many of those yards have come in meaningful minutes. And mm -hmm. I haven't gone back and looked at it, but I remember watching in uh, shoot was that last year? Maybe two years ago whatever it was. And like a lot of his production would come on late two minute drives where they get, where they're down by two scores already. You know what I mean? And it's like, where was this production? And again, this is, I think Terry, let me just say that I think Terry's a good football player. I think he adds right. value to this team. All those things are true, but this is some of the conversation that you have. Like when I talk to my friends around the NFL, this is conversation that comes up around him. And that's not to, to detract from him in any way. Just as like when you're, when you're negotiating a contract of this magnitude, these are things that come up. So again, like I hope it gets done. I think it'll get done. But again, these are some things, some considerations to to, to think about. All right. Last but not least, uh, this question comes in on Twitter as well. Again, you can always tweet me your Mailbag Monday questions at Craig Hoffman. This one comes in from uh, BJL1906. Uh, Big John. Uh, so Logan recently raved over the tight end group, especially rookies on a pod. I, I hope I hope that was this pod. You're not, you're not cheating on us, are you? Well, okay. I do a lot of promotional pod work. That's true. That's true. As long as you're uh, as long as you're promoting this pod, then that's really all that matters. Big John, I, I do think is is listening to our pod, but because uh, we did we did rave about. I think the Big John ends. has his own pod, doesn't he? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Anyway. The point is, he asked this question. Uh, assuming Logan, uh, and that's Logan Thomas, uh, is not not Logan Paulson, is healthy because yeah. you're healthy right now and you don't play tight end anymore. That's true. You play analyst. Uh, Bates <laughs> develops year two. Turner makes it as a rookie. Where does that leave Reyes, AGG, and the Arizona State rookie? He thinks brings a lot to the table. Basically, long story short, how's this tight end room going to shake out, uh, assuming that Logan Thomas comes back uh, relatively early in the season? Yeah, I think that's that's a really good question because right now, I mean, uh, so on Thursday, Friday, whenever they practiced last, both rookies were hurt. And that is a huge bummer because they've been kind of a bright spot of the OTA process. And so right now, if you're making if you have to make your 53 man roster today, it's Bates, it's uh, Turner and it's Hodges, the kid from ASU. And it's not like that's a reach. It's like you feel good about that, which is crazy to think about, right? And they haven't had pads on. They're still in their underwear, all those types of things. But I, I like that is, to me, the most interesting group of this offseason because those, I mean, really three, Rodgers is the other guy, have such great physical tools. And like it's, I, I've said this to you before. I've said this on the pod. I've said this uh, elsewhere. I cannot remember a young group of players with so much upside and a group that you feel like, wow, like this is, this guy's a fifth round pick. This guy's undrafted. The other guy's undrafted. He's, he's a converted quarterback. And like, they're all showing traits that make you say these guys could be something really special. Like 
Um, like, you know, he mentioned Sam East. Like one thing about Sam East is that it was a very slow development process, right? Because he's never played football before. Here, these guys are here right now. And you look at him and you say, well, Cole Turner's contested catch abilities may be the best on the team. Hodges is okay in line, but he has enough receiving upside that you say this guy could be a matchup nightmare the same way Logan Thomas is a matchup nightmare. And they're rookies. And so that's why this becomes so interesting, right? And I, I hope those guys are healthy because I just want more information for the evaluation because right now, like he mentioned Bates and we need to mention Bates because Bates is right now the best player, the best person at the position. But in terms of upside, those other guys, like, oh my right. gosh, you, you just watch and you think, oh my, like this is, this could be something really, really special. So with regards to what we're talking about, like, yes, Logan Thomas is the guy if he's healthy, Bates is number two. And then you have these two young pups who, I get people when you mention the people around the building, their eyes light up. And when I watch the tape and I, and I watch practice, my eyes light up and that's all I can say about it. And and you don't know until they put the pads on, you don't know how they match up with in the run situations and all this stuff until they put the pads on. But I will say like this run scheme, they do have physical runs, but they also have a lot of runs where you can get, you can kind of skate by with not a lot of physicality and not that these guys aren't physical but they don't need to be killers and um yeah. that's one of the reasons like AGG's conversion to tight end makes a little bit more sense in this offense and he mentioned AGG I think AGG has shown really one day of excellent splash that made you say we're going to we're going to like see what this is but in terms of consistent production each day it's just not been there you know what I mean so I think that's yeah. one of the things I think it sounds like a couple of these guys have big time practice squad potential too. that if you can keep them around and develop them yeah. like next year, we'll see. Um, but the thing is like how many, how many years in a row are you going to keep a guy like Sammy Reyes and continue yeah. investing in that experiment? Um, like what kind of upside are we talking about? How, how much work and how much time is it going to take to get there? That's, that's the tough question. And, and at the end of the day, the NFL moves quickly and, and a guy who's a darling one year and it's like, Oh my God, if it clicks, he could be the greatest right. thing since, you know, insert, Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, yeah. whoever, you know, here, these former basketball guys uh, to like, uh, no, we got a rookie out of Arizona state and he's probably not going to make the team. And that's we're one year later, but like yeah. that's, that happens in the NFL every single year. Well, it's important to note, like with Sammy, he hasn't been practicing. I think he's got like a knee issue or something like that. I don't know ex exactly what's happening uh, with him, but he's got some type of medical issue that's keeping him out. So he can't even like kind of give himself testimony at this point of the, of the off season, which is important. But the thing with Sam East, that's important to note in, in, in response to the question is that he is the only guy with NFL special teams experience. Think about that. And mm -hmm. so that third guy, you third guy, fourth guy, depending on how many they keep needs to play teams, has to play teams. Yeah. Right. Really so like, a third like, and a fourth. If you're going to keep four, both those guys need to play teams. They got to, they got to be great on teams. Right. And so I think Cole Turner, he didn't do a lot of team stuff in college, but he's got kind of the right, edge to him when you watch him play when you watch him run you say that guy's got that screw loose that makes me think he'll be okay <laughs> Hodges didn't play a ton of special teams in college but he did block five kicks at ASU so he does have some background but it's like can you are you that emotional kind of like psycho that can do special teams well in the NFL I don't know but again Sam East has done it and he's played pretty good on teams. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So mm -hmm. that is a is a huge variable in this that like needs to be considered. Like, yeah, we can talk about upside. We can talk about how good they've all looked over the first couple of days of OTAs. But really, when it comes time to make that decision, I'm sure the special teams coach here is going to say, well, like, I know what Sammy's can do. I've seen him do it, and I trust him. Like, let's right. get him out there. And he's going to go to bat for him. And that's where that 
third, fourth tight end spot becomes a, a roster battle, not between the tight end room, but between you and like the fourth linebacker or the fifth linebacker because of special teams value. So I think that's something that that the that fans need to keep in mind. Like as much as I like what I've seen from those two young guys, like those two young guys are not going to play a ton on offense. Maybe Turner will, but they're not going to play a ton on offense. Like they're going to play a lot on teams. And so you need to have guys you trust and you feel good about um, in, in that role. So I think that's another thing to consider. Yeah, potential can't play. Um, and that's yeah. that's the hardest part is, you know, potential is great in the future, but you also need guys who can do stuff right now. Uh, that's great insight. If you want more of it, you should subscribe uh, right here, wherever subscribe. you're listening right now. Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it is that you're listening, your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you subscribe. Also, uh, if you leave us a review, that helps other people find the podcast as well. So we would really appreciate that. Uh, as for us, that's it for today. Uh, we will talk to you again on Thursday. Uh, we got some really fun stuff planned. We got this this cool like fantasy draft kind of thing uh, within the <laughs> NFC East. I don't. I, we'll, we'll come up with a catchier name, but it, yeah, it's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. It could be kind of interactive if folks want to think about how they would draft a team made up of NFC East players. So we'll get to that uh, probably on Thursday. We'll, of course, have a review of the week and OTAs. Uh, maybe we'll grab one of the beat guys and have him on or her on as well. So yeah. we look forward to that. In the meantime, uh, follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82. Follow me at Craig underscore Hoffman. I'm on Twitter as well at Craig Hoffman. And we will see you Thursday on Take Command.